Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast. We're here to break down the week's events and have a few laughs. Back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy. Jimmy's got his big rock and roll hair on today. <laughs> Party. How you doing today, Jimmy? I'm doing great, man. The uh, the rock and roll hair pairs well with the uh, Woodstock 1969 shirt, you know, so peace and love today coming from uh, uh, LLJK, as I'm known on this program. <laughs> Exactly. Ladies love Jimmy Kennedy and you're going to a wedding tonight, huh, Jimmy? I haven't been feeling great the past couple of days, man, like uh, like a stomach bug. So and I don't want to be around other people's families, so I'm, I'm actually going to avoid that. This oh, week. well, that's nice of you. That's considerate. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do now. We stay yeah. home, get sick. So pandemic's still ongoing, unfortunately, but you know, yeah, more people died in 2021 than died in 2020 of COVID. But sort of somehow psychologically, we, we, we feel like it's over, you know, and I was out about a little bit this week and it was uh, a bizarre feeling, restaurants and bars and stuff. But, you know, if you're vaccinated and you wear a mask when it's appropriate, then you're OK. And, and the fact that people won't do that, it's it's no surprise because they were weaponized. You know, I did a car rant the other day about. Facebook was weaponizing people. You didn't hear about anti-vax stuff in this country before. You know, there was always fringe whack jobs, you know, living up in the hills or whatever that didn't want to vaccinate their kids. And I get that to a certain fringe extent, but it wasn't this mainstream kind of thing. You know, when I was a kid, they came and vaccinated you in the school nurse room. <laughs> like you, you didn't get a you didn't get a choice, you know? And uh Facebook was sort of laying the groundwork for many years for what we saw coalesce in the Trump administration, you know, that a lot of people had been flipped psychologically to be more susceptible to all this right wing dogma. And we learned recently that, you know, I think something like nine out of like the 15 top like Christo fascist sites, you know, really mm -hmm. or right wing Christian sites were bots. They were coming out of Eastern Europe, you know, or they were fronts. They were GRU, you know, propaganda tools. And it really is the perfect beast because it was a perfect culture to be susceptible, susceptible to that. You know, you had this right wing element, this I am the NRA, I have a pickup truck, I hate liberals. You know, it all started under Reagan. It was taking back like a culture of empathy. You know, I, empathy offended a big chunk of America and libertarianisms and, and libertarianism and really wealthy billionaires were able to exploit that. You know, as I've discussed many times on this show, the Koch brothers and all these guys were reacting to Jimmy Carter. They were reacting to the, the specter of solar power and environmental responsibility sort of dawning in America, you know, the fruition of, you know, 1969, you know, the hippie, you know. Woodstock was wasn't just about like rock and roll and dropping acid. You know, you had the hog farm there, Wavy Gravy, who I've gone to a bunch of his birthday celebrations. I know Wavy Gravy. He fed all those guys. Granola was invented at Woodstock because they needed to figure out a way to, to feed these people because <laughs> Woodstock was a logistical nightmare, by the way. What you think of as Woodstock was like a PR push that it was this great <laughs> time actually a lot of bad shit happened you know and it was three hundred thousand people you had more people at watkins Glen, which was a grateful dead almond brothers concert a couple years later you had six hundred thousand. but woodstock was like a marketing effort and i know some of the guys who put it together i know michael lang i know the guys from the university club that backed it what we think of as woodstock is kind of bullshit you know and i lived in woodstock as a kid 
right? My dad lived there in the 70s. I lived in a tent on Todd Rundgren's farm. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, like I grew up in the middle of that myth, but a lot of it is a myth, okay? It wasn't, wasn't the great time and, and sort of like bucolic situation that everybody kind of is handed down, you know, as a marketing tool. And that's why they kept it alive. And we won't get into that. But in the midst of that, there was a good thing blossoming. Like my friend Graham Nash is the guy who injected a lot of the peace and love into the 60s. You know, like Paul McCartney would play all the masters to Graham before he'd put out Beatles albums and stuff. Graham is really the guy who was like, love each other, teach your children, like, let's take care of the next generation. And that's a part of the sort of hippie environmental movement that I came up in. You know, I always say like, I liked the batik side of the sixties movement. Batik was a form of like tie dyeing where you'd use wax and stuff to make these ornate t-shirts and tie dye. In the seventies, there were these elements that were trying to like feed children organically and get back to nature. You know, Joni Mitchell talked about that, obviously in, in her Woodstock song, getting back to the garden. There was this sense of like, let's make the world better for the next generation. Let's put an end to war. You know, let's put an end to all these other things, you know, and unfortunately corporate interests kind of won out and, and branded all this stuff and rock and roll became big giant stadium tours and about millionaires living in castles and stuff. But for a brief moment, there were things that were going to make the world a better place. The solar movement, no nukes movement, you know, that happened in the seventies and early eighties. So my point is, there were a lot of good things on the horizon sort of taking root culturally. And Jimmy Carter, as we said last week, his administration was kind of like the, the first sign of that going official. And that freaked out the Republican establishment. It freaked out, you know, the guys that were making billions of dollars off of oil companies, the Koch brothers and stuff. They don't really want you being environmentally conscious, you know, because their job is like having rusty pipelines all over the country that if they leak, it's a management philosophy. It's better to leak than do the repairs because you have to take them offline. Right. And what did we see last weekend? A huge oil spill, you know, off the coast of Huntington Beach in California. You know, and once again, animals, you know, birds slicked in oil, you know, the beaches are all closed out there. It's insane to me that we do that. You know, you have underwater technology now. I know somebody who's, you know, at the vanguard of that. You have hydrofoil technology. You can generate power by putting these turbines underwater and just using the ocean's natural current to generate electricity. You know, there's a gazillion things we could be doing. Solar power, all this stuff. And those interests are still trying to fight it. As much as Cokes and all these guys funded libertarianism, you know, at the dawn of the Reagan era, they're still in the game. That's what Kristen Cinema is, right? We learned yesterday that she wants to carve out hundreds of billions of dollars from the climate legislation in this infrastructure bill. She wants to gut the funds that were there to take care of poor neighborhoods. You know, poor communities suffer most from climate change, from flooding and all this stuff, right? So there was provisions in this bill and hundreds of billions of dollars to sort of take care of that and address those issues. There was rebates for people to use solar power and for companies to switch to solar power. And that's what she wants to cut out of the bill. Now, why does she want to do that, Jimmy? Because she's serving her masters, okay? Because Lady Footlocker is bought and paid for by special interests, right? And she can gut that out and then she could put on a purple dress 
and a purple wig and some, you know, pink Nikes and run down the hallway of the Senate like it's cute and, and continue to, to rake in the money for the next couple of years, you know, until she gets kicked out of office, if she even does, you know, and that's where we're at, Jimmy. It's the same battle is my point. You're wearing a T-shirt that re re represented a philosophy that was basically tamped down. The war on drugs, all that stuff, you know, it was like, stop this. Stop people freeing their minds and their philosophies. Big business is the law in the United States. You know, the United States is a business. You, you think it's a democracy. It's not. It's a business. All of our wars are fought to make money for certain companies. They're not fought to free people. You know, we had to be guilted into World War II. We weren't jumping over there to go save anybody. If we could have avoided it the whole time, we would have. Churchill had to shame us into getting involved. You know, we don't care about human lives. We care about money in this country. Well, and the thing that kills me, you, know, you have Christian uh, cinema coming from Arizona, a place that's already hot, you know, and dealing with climate change. Uh, and we, you've talked about it here before. If one of those grids goes down, we've seen it happen in Texas already with the climate change issues that we're having year to year. It's going to just continue to add to the chaos. And I, I know the answer is more because that's the concept of capitalism when you get to the level of Koch brothers, but they've made money the last 40 years, hand over fist. How much do they really need at the end of the day? You know, it's just hard to believe. That's what greed does as much as you can get. You know, you don't stop. And then, like you said, in Phoenix, people will die in the tens of thousands if they have a heat wave and the power grid goes down and it's 130 degrees out in Phoenix. People die in massive numbers, right? Because all those buildings are sealed up for environmental reasons now, which makes sense. But ironically, you know, if the AC goes out, you can't just open the window, you know, and even if you can, you can't be out there on those streets in that kind of heat. You'll die. You know, you get dehydrated within hours and all the all the water is pumped on electricity. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like you're just going to dig a well or go hop in the river. <clears throat> Pardon me. So it's catastrophic and it'll affect her state more than any. And uh, she doesn't care. She's not going to be able to run a triathlon in the heat wave. But it's not about that. It's about I got mine. Right. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. The guy's like a trillionaire. You know, he's got more money than anybody's ever going to need in for a thousand years of their of their offspring. <laughs> you know, there's nobody with a last name Zuckerberg that would ever go without a Bentley for the rest of time <laughs> if he wanted it to be that way. Right. But he wants more money. And we learned from the whistleblower that Facebook knew. I mean, we always knew they knew about Myanmar and the slaughter over there and didn't do anything about it. Frontline did a genius piece on Facebook a few years ago. This is nothing new. Anybody who's paying attention knew all this stuff. You obviously knew how the Russians got involved with Facebook, as I've discussed on here many times. They micro-targeted certain demographics. Kushner was able to find out about that. Kushner went to Harvard with Zuckerberg. They were three, they're three years apart in age. So they were there at the same time. You know, I don't know that they were friends, but they definitely have a lot of friends in common. And when Trump was running, one of the main things Kushner did was he mm -hmm. found out from his buddies out there in Palo Alto, how do I micro target people? You know, how do I flip these people in Wisconsin that go to Travis Tritt concerts <laughs> and, and have AR-15, you know, stickers on their pickup trucks, but voted for Obama because they're in a union. 
you know, how do I flip those people? And they found out where these people were. And then they started hitting them with killery articles and stuff on Facebook for years. She's a communist. She's a crook. Her emails, blah, 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 you know, Benghazi and all these dumbasses, you know, and not even always dumbasses, just people that were busy. You know, they're taking care of their mortgage and their families and working and stuff. Not everybody has to, eight hours a day to, to, you know, read newspapers and politics and stuff. And the newspapers were giving you the same message. It wasn't like the New York Times was doing Hillary any favors either. Let's be real. I saw Jeff Zucker this week, by the way, sitting in a restaurant called Michael's New York. It's where all the media hang out in New York City. And he's just sitting there holding court you know, with like eight dudes around a big round table, you know, in the window, just, you know, being the King media, you know, King Midas in the media. And like that guy more than anybody could have stopped Trump. Okay. He was the head of NBC entertainment when, when, when celebrity apprentice and apprentice was happening, he knew all the stuff Trump was up to. He knew Trump couldn't even barely read. He knew it was the last guy who should have been president, but it was a cash cow. You know, you were going to make a fortune off the guy and he did, you know, and he still does. So my point is, well, I'm getting off on a tangent, but so Kushner targeted these people, gave that information through Konstantin Kalimnik, right? Who's, who's tied in with Putin and through Paul Manafort and they targeted those people and it worked and they used Facebook to manipulate American people during an election, right? And then they did it again, right? We learned two weeks ago that Zuckerberg and Kushner had a private dinner at the White House with Trump, right? And their wives, you know, and Ivanki and all this crap. And mm -hmm. they said, okay, we won't label your political ads as misinformation if you don't regulate Facebook, right? Done deal. Wow. So that's how they helped do it again in this last election. And it didn't even work. And then Trump attacked the Capitol and tried to subvert it anyway. But my point is he knew that was going and money mattered more than that. They knew on Instagram that they were harming young women and girls, you know, with body issues. Because every time they log on, they're seeing Facebook reels, some, you know, 17 year old twerking with a perfect body. And they're like, I don't look like that. I'm never going to be loved. It's inhumane. It's inhumane when you're harming the psyches of human beings for profit. You know, you're selling a deadly product. You know it. You could easily change it. You know, they could change the code in an afternoon and change those algorithms so it didn't do harm. And they have no interest in that because there's no money in that. There's money in exploiting people, you know, for profit. And that's, you know, that's a sin. And, and, and thankfully, you know, kind of it blew up in their face a little bit this week, you know, and I have no doubt that that thing went down on Monday so they could shred documents and delete files. And, you know, it's just, it was too convenient that the 60 minutes piece was on Sunday at 7 PM. You know? <laughs> and then yeah. at noon, you know, on Monday, the site's down for five and a half hours. You know, what do you, what did you think about that? Was it hard for you not to <laughs> candy crush for a few hours, Jimmy? Well, you know, I, I didn't see what salads and sandwiches my friends were eating. That was a blessing in disguise. As far as like a broadcast standpoint, you know, I'm still kind of old school. It's hard for me to have just a normal conversation as a podcast still, because I'm not used to that style, but with uh, like the, the broadcast that people watch on Facebook uh, similar to the one that you see with Steve Bannon. You know, you have a ticker at the bottom, all the graphics, the flag, all the components are there to make it look legitimate. And a lot of the broadcasts coming from a broadcast background, 
they look as legitimate as CNN. You know, they're not as credible because it's all BS. But if you don't know the difference and don't know how to distinguish between media sources, you're going to be vulnerable to that sort of thing. Right. Absolutely. You know, and Steve yeah. Bannon, that one is super dangerous. I've seen it. It's called War Room or something. And it has a ticker, you know, a crawl yeah. across the bottom. And it looks official. It looks mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a news guy. He looks like, you know, you know, a, <laughs> a pockmarked old lesbian woman trying to sell you a used Subaru in South Jersey, you know, who hasn't taken care of themselves. Like he doesn't look professional, you know, and my mom's a lesbian. This is not a dig on lesbianism. I love lesbians, but I'm just saying he looks like, he looks like an alcoholic old woman, you know, like he, <laughs> the guy is clearly insane with his two shirts and there's nothing, I'm not, I'm not trying to be you know, transphobic or something. And we'll get into Dave Chappelle in a moment. And I didn't see his special. I'm not the, the huge fan of his that most people are. But anyway, uh, it does look official. And people mm-hmm. believe that, you know, and OAN is backed by AT&T. We learned that this week too, right? Yeah. Now, th- that's what I'm saying. Everybody wants a piece of this pie. There's a lot of money in this disinformation. You know, our new media climate is disinformation. That's why I was mentioning Jeff Zucker, right? Jeff Zucker had, you know, the guy from Pennsylvania who we finally had to fire. Do you know who I'm talking about? The ex-senator of Congress? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. Always has like the other side on, you know, Santorum <laughs> is the guy's name, Rick Santorum. You know, the guy's yep. been an asshole for 20 years. You know, everyone knew it, but CNN will put these guys on. Anderson Cooper, who I've used to work on CNN Heroes with, his show is entertainment now. It's not even news. I saw him do 20 minutes on William Shatner trying to get viral clips where William Shatner was making Anderson Cooper break up and laugh. And Anderson was just desperately trying to laugh like it was so funny. And it wasn't funny. It was just cheesy. But you could see Anderson was just fishing for a little clip that you could put on Twitter and say, hey, look, and you know, William Shatner breaks me up. And it's eight o'clock. You know, it was literally <laughs> during the hour that news broke that a, a circuit court had like blocked the Texas abortion law. You know, massive news broke while this guy's basically jerking off, you know, on, on network TV, right? At an eight o'clock hour and pardon my, you know, language, but it, it's entertainment. Do you know what I'm saying? It's media is entertainment. That's not news. If you're watching it on TV, it is not news. Okay, unless it's, you know, in a breaking story and you turn on your network TV and they're like, we're interrupting this program to tell you about something that's news. Do you know what I'm saying? That's hard news. But the stuff you tune tune into every night is entertainment. And Trump knew that and exploited it better than anybody else. You know, the thing that people don't talk about is how the infrastructure was already in place for Trump to do what he needed to do. And he knew that. Mm-hmm. He's not as dumb as people think. He knew that all the lights were going to you know, be green for him to launch this campaign because he was hanging with these people. It's a local story. As I always tell people, everybody lived in a small little neighborhood in New York City. All your media is controlled in a, in a tiny little part of an island. You know, and it's affecting the lives of all these people across America because the people involved in it are making a fortune. And the people out in the heartland don't know that. They don't know that Fox News is manipulating them, that everybody at Fox News has to wear a mask and get vaccinated. You're not getting into the building, right? But they'll listen to Tucker Carlson tell you that vaccines are bad and it's time for a race war, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, no, go. Do you think that Tucker Carlson will eventually leave Fox to make his own political run? There, There's like talk about that because of how extreme he's getting with each broadcast, man. I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And I also think that like, you know, he had David Yang on this week. He had Yang on, who's another scammer. Like, how did anybody fall <laughs> David Yang? That dude is not right. You can clearly see it when you look at his eyes, you know, at his face, there's some kind of affect. You know, he's got some kind something's off about that dude. He's just mm-hmm. weird, like he doesn't have normal sensitivities. He gave right. his dog away. You know, he's right. always saying the wrong thing. He has no experience in public service or government. None. Right. They tried to pay me. He used a cutout when he was running for mayor, like a, a separate group. And they contacted me and they said, hey, we'll pay you $250 a month to send five tweets about the mayor's race. And I knew the guy was asking me, I knew it was coming from Yang. You know, I knew Yang had been hired because he'd hired other friends of mine to go down to Georgia and stuff. And I said, no, like my Twitter's not for sale. It's not going to happen. No, thanks. And they were like, well, is it about the money? Because we can pay you more. And I'm like, no, it's like I'm not going to like hoodwink people. You know, I'm not going to have people thinking I'm tweeting about the mayor's race out of my own interest. And in reality, I'm getting paid, you know, by somebody. So that's what David Yang is. He was trying to buy voters. You know, that's what that thousand dollars fixed in guaranteed income was. It wasn't his idea. There's a gentleman in California who's been doing that for years. But Yang took credit for that. And then he took credit for Georgia, you know, and flipping the, you know, those two Senate seats right in January. And, in, and then he said this week, I would have left the Democratic Party had I been elected mayor. So he was lying to people. How do you think you would have gotten anything done in New York if you left the Democratic Party? As a New York mayor, you have to work with Albany, you know, with the state Senate and legislator. How are you going to do that when you just left the party? He would have been dead in the water. And it's like I said, he has no there's some kind of affect that's just wrong with the guy. He just doesn't know how the world works. And if you criticized him online, you would have these blue hat bots just attack you because I went after him a couple of times and I would just get sick of blocking people because they'd be like, screw you, Yang rules, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's paying all those guys. It's the bullying factor, right? It's big money and then bullying people. And I'm going to make a point here. And that's what modern politics is about, right? So it's no coincidence that Tucker Carlson had Yang on his program this week, right? Because Yang said, I'm going to announce an independent party, the forward party or something, right? So Tucker announces, he goes outside the Republican party and he's already making friends and overtures to people like Yang, right? Who have built-in armies online, right? That's why anybody who's like, follow me, become a follower of me, put my name in your hash, in your handle on Twitter, you know, anybody who's trying to build a following like right. an online army should scare you because it's the same mechanisms of a cult of personality. I'm going to become so big, I'm going to monopolize this. And anybody who stands up to me is going to get squashed, right? That's not how we're supposed to do things, okay? And that's something that you can do now because of this social media, you know, and, and the power of it. And that should terrify people. You know, any group that's buying up all the other voices, Come under my one umbrella. We'll all be stronger together. That's scary, man. Well, and, you know, I have to keep this in mind as a newly, you know, 27-year-old guy. When you're talking to even people my age, uh, you know, I know a few famous folks that are that are younger. And 
when you're talking to one person, you're talking to a thousand to 10,000 <laughs> uh, with how many followers they have. So, and everybody's got a camera in their pocket, you know? So uh, when you go on Facebook live, you become a, a news gathering person. So that, that could play to, to the benefit of, of society. We saw that with uh, George Floyd and what happened with him that was captured on a phone. So um, it's just using these tools in the right way, I think is my point with that, you know? Yeah. George Floyd is a great example of it, uh, of it working and all these examples where we saw this racial injustice and this, uh, you know, this police violence against African-Americans, which has been happening forever. And, and, and people tried to warn us and we didn't listen, you know, NWA was right. They were telling the truth. Right. And, and what happened? Time Warner tried to attack them. You know, this is wrong. How dare they say this about the cops? They were just telling the truth. You know, they were getting murdered by the Rampart. You know, the Rampart scandal. They're still a gang in L.A. You know, they're still doing that. Who are the guys that are all anti-vaxxers now? You know, it's cops and firemen and stuff that are leaving their jobs and refusing to wear masks. Jimmy, at the height of the scan of the COVID epidemic last year, I would drive past Midtown South, which is a huge police precinct in New York, covers Times Square and everything. Sure. They'd all be lined up for their shifts. The cops would stand out on the stairs before their shifts. I'd only see one or two with a mask on. Out of 150 cops, beat cops that were about to walk patrol, you'd see one or two that were wearing masks. And those were always minority cops. All the white Joe Irish, Joe <laughs> Island guys, they weren't doing it from the beginning because they'd already been politicized, right? And the head of the Sergeant's Benevolent Union got arrested this week, right? He got, you know, he, he or he resigned. I think he's about to get arrested, but the FBI raided his office. You know, the cops were a gang. The cops enforced that status quo that I talked about at the top of the show, Jimmy. The police department was started in this country, like the, the sheriff's departments and police departments were, were founded to catch runaway slaves, right? That's where it came from, you know, is enforcing this brutal sort of democratic, not democratic, capitalistic society where you got to protect the wealthy landowners, you know, and we need some guys on our side to knock some head around, heads around. The New York Police Department, their big claim to fame was beating the hell out of people that were trying to unionize in sweatshops, you know, and all these garment things where we would use slave labor back in the day and people would try to organize and the cops would go in there with billy clubs and just crack a few skulls and then folks would go back to work and get exploited. That's mm -hmm. what they existed for was to, to help the, the industrialists retain power and use human beings as like chattel. You know, I don't even know that's not the right word, but like, you know, you know what I mean? Exploiting the workers, you know, for the cost of doing business. Right. Yeah, it's like I said, it's some rant or somewhere. It's like collateral damage. You know, that's how they view it. Hey, you're going to get hurt. And now that has become so complicated. You know, it's so endemic and it's so now hardwired in with, with this lifestyle brand of Christianity and pickup trucks and stuff. And, and now you've infused this anger in it. You know, social media has fractured us and divided us. And, and I see it every time, you know, you know where I'm going with this, these big pickup trucks, you know, that every stoplight they're at, they got to gun it. You know, every, everything is a political statement. Every red light is a political statement now. The rolling coal, there was a kid in Texas who ran into six people on a bicycle, right? <laughs> ran them over because he was a 16-year-old teenager and he was trying to roll coal on him. 
right? So he passed one cyclist and he was trying to go up to the other six and, and fill their faces with a bunch of black soot, poisonous carbon monoxide as they were training for a race. And he screwed up and ran into them and mowed them all down and ran over like three or four of them that had to be airlifted to the hospital. And he's a white teenager, so he didn't even get arrested. He said to the cop, like, am I going to go to jail? And cop's like, of course you're not. You know, you're a white boy in a pickup truck. You're MAGA. They're hippies on bikes, you know, there to protect you. And there was so much outcry that there is a DA looking into the case now. But if that was a black kid in Texas who ran into a bunch of people, he would have been in jail, you know, before he got the question out of his mouth. And my point is, it's this cultural thing. And there's totems of symbols of, of who you are and what side you're on. And we've become adept at reading that. You can tell from 100 yards away where somebody's leaning. You can tell by their beard. And, you know, the market people wear T-shirts. You know, if the guy's got a picture of Rambo with Trump's face on it on his T-shirt, <laughs> yeah. you know, the rest of his life. And how do you change these people? How are you? You can't get these people to take a vaccine in a deadly pandemic. They've already failed the biggest test of their lives. You think you're going to get people like that to understand what you have to do to save the environment? You think you're going to get guys like that to conserve energy, to not put 15,000 lights on their you know, house at Christmas time because they want to like best their neighbor on who has the most stupid lights on their house and burn electricity? Because we got to stop doing all this kind of dumbass stuff. We got to act, stop acting like it's an unlimited resource fossil fuels, or we got to let somebody like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, two people that are in the pocket of big oil interests and pharmaceutical companies decide the fate of our nation, right? And there's a reason it's always big pharma and big oil buying these guys, right? Because they're, they're two sides of the same coin. The fossil fuels will give you cancer, right? And then the big pharma companies will sell you Oxycontin to keep you comfortable while you die of cancer. You see what I'm saying? It's related. One thing makes you sick. The other thing doesn't cure you, but manages your illness if you can afford it. And it's just, you know, it's like we need a holistic approach. If you said, you know, we need to understand how all these things are tied together and we need to call out the people that don't have our best interests at heart, you know, but it's very hard to do that in this day and age because there's so much noise and there's so much online stuff and there's so much unhelpful stuff. Like you mentioned, you know, using a video camera for George, George Floyd is a good idea. But is it a good idea to like follow Kristen Cinema into a bathroom? You know, right. those people put up to that by some other political group that wanted to tweet out the video and get a bunch of likes. I, my suspicion is yes. <laughs> you know, they were actual dreamers and undocumented citizens that were asking the questions. But somebody told them to do that you know, and send us the video and then we'll make it viral. And that's wrong because it distracts, right? Because so then the story becomes about, is it a good or bad thing to follow Kristen Cinema into the bathroom? It's a bad thing, okay? You can't call out the right for calling out school children and moms when they come out of classrooms and schools at the end of the day. You can't admonish that and then say it's okay to follow, you know, Kristen Cinema through an airport or to go up to her on an airplane. And I know she doesn't have town halls and I know she's hard to reach, but there's better ways to do this than sort of the same narcissistic tactics, right? I, I, I never like this gotcha stuff. You know, you don't pretend to be somebody and then go ask a question and then put, that's just, it's like, it's like punked, 
right? right. You know, it's just stupid. It's, it, it's lowering the dialogue overall. You can still hold these people accountable without, you know, making a mockery of the whole process because then nothing gets done. We don't get to discuss substantive issues. We have to have a debate for five days on whether or not it was a good thing to do that. Well, and I want to make one point. Um, you talked about how big pharma and big oil work together to ensure that sickness is perpetuated. You know, there's a reason why Britney Spears didn't promote radishes. Uh, you know, instead of promoting a healthy alternative, what do they have her promote? Pepsi, you know, things that get people sick. There's a reason why things that have high fructose corn syrup are constantly, you know, on TV. Uh, and I agree with you, man. I mean, the, the, uh, the subpoenas that were issued this week, you know, if you don't actually enforce those and arrest the folks that are uh, telling you to kiss their ass, everybody's a cartoon. We've talked about the GOP and how they have cartoon characters on their side. If you don't actually enforce the safeguards you put in place, then the democracy's over. Right. So. They stopped enforcing it three years ago, Jimmy. Yeah. Right? Right. They enforcing any of those subpoenas during Trump's administration. Right. You know, I hope they enforce them now. I'm not holding my breath. You know, the jury's out on whether Rick Wilson was right, you know, the other day. But, you know, I trust the information that he's getting, actually, because he had this big threat on, like, how they're not going to enforce the subpoenas. And they haven't enforced them. I, it, it's really hard for me to imagine Steve Bannon testifying before Congress. He might do it just out of narcissism, right? Because his War Room podcast is going to be extra popular that night. So he might do it to his benefit and just get up there and plead the fifth or go on some tirade. You know, it's actually a great opportunity for him. And he's such a whack job and he does have a Subaru to sell, you know? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean... Uh, it's just like, when is there going to be somebody that's going to go in there and not care, just kick ass, you know, and try to get back to a point of some, but you don't get back. I guess that's the bigger point here. Right. You, it, Trump broke things. The biggest mistake was Biden thinking like, well, I want to get back to business as usual. I'm not going to get involved with the Justice Department. Right. I'm going to, you know, that was great in a pre-Trump world, but Trump weaponized the DOJ for four years. He used it as his personal law firm to get out of rape allegations, which are true. He did rape E. Jean Carroll. He's raped many, many people. He's raped friends of mine. Okay. He's a rapist and it was no secret. Right. So a guy who's done that to the DOJ, you can't just be like, well, it's going to go back to the old times. And Merrick Garland was the wrong guy. You needed a guy who's in there who walks in on day one and says, hey, who was appointed during the Trump administration? Raise your hand. All these guys raise. OK, get the hell out right now. Mm -hmm. Pack up your bags and get out. I'm firing everybody and we're going to look at this, you know, and, and, and that's a general, you know, obviously you can't do that. <laughs> you need to operate. But you, you could have figured out who implemented all this bad stuff during the Trump administration. Right. right. Those guys, we, we've had a couple scandals break where we found out, you know, that the people who who let like remember when they tried to go to Apple and get the communications yeah. of congressional staffers and stuff mm -hmm. that was done through the Department of Justice. And the guys that did that were still on the job and they were Trump. <laughs> Right. So people like that had to, to be immediately fired. And you've never had a time in America where you needed you needed performative justice. And I don't mean performative in, in the negative way. I mean, you needed action. 
you needed that. You need you need to to rebalance the scales of justice because they tipped in the way of corruption for so long that you needed somebody who was going to be like, nope, it's swinging back towards moral clarity. And we haven't had that. We had a guy who goes silent. Clearly, Merrick Garland is not the man of the moment because he's already failed the moment. You know, we're coming up on a year and he hasn't done anything. And time is not on your side. Trump has already gotten away with this. As I always tell people, he's 75 years old. You can't even punish him now if you want to, because he'll tie it up in courts till he's 80. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then the judge is like, I'm not sending an 80 year old ex-president to prison. You know what I mean? He can spend out his days in house arrest at his you know, golf club. Like you're not really ever going to get justice from Trump, but you could have stopped his kids. You could have stopped the damage that they're doing in the meantime. You could have gotten Don Jr.'s cell phone records, you know, on January 10th or, you know, or January 30th, you know, when you had control and they're still walking free. Right. And they're winning. You know, the GOP has had a better year than the Democrats have. You know, if you really want to think about it, and that's not to take away from Biden's accomplishments because they're many. But our whole thing is getting held up by two senators now, you know, that are owned by big business. Right. And, and Trump's telling the rest of the GOP not to vote for the infrastructure bill. You know, the guy should have disappeared. And instead, he's having rallies every weekend. Right. And walking free as a criminal. So you needed somebody who was going to come forward and kick ass. You know, there's a new sheriff in town. You know, I'm rooting out corruption and that's not what we got. And people are frustrated. And that frustration feeds an engine that is easily corruptible, right? Because then people do look for alternatives, right? Then they say, okay, well, maybe I should give Yang another look. Who's playing comedy clubs. He's literally on a tour of comedy clubs and like city wineries and stuff, giving these speeches. He gave one in DC. You know, it allows for the carnival aspect of our political dialogue to to get ratcheted up when we should be going in the different, in a different direction, you know, and you needed strong leadership to do that. You, you know, I, I still have faith in the January 6th commission. Benny Thompson is great. Who's leading it, but you have to drag these people by the scrum of their necks, <laughs> throw them in the hooskow. If they don't, you know, the FBI should be at their door. It's next Thursday is when they're scheduled to appear. They've already said, F you, I'm not handing over any documents. Right. And Trump's lawyers have already sent letters to them all saying, don't hand them over. Right. So that can now be tied up in the courts for years. That's the thing with Trump is he knows how to use lawyers. He's a rich guy. That's why nobody ever took him out, because you don't want to spend four years. You know, most people can't afford to defend themselves or prosecute lawsuits. It costs a fortune to put, you know, you get a DWI, it costs a fortune. You know, you try to sue a billionaire. It costs a lot more money. Whether or not he's a real billionaire, he's close enough that these law firms always line up to represent him. And they're big law firms. And there's one doing it this week. And he knows that. He knows there's hungry, immoral lawyers out there that are always going to take his money. Right. So he can tie this stuff up and and put a fly in the ointment of justice and how this country works. And he's done it forever. That's why he got away with being a money launderer and a sexual predator and all this stuff. Because nobody wants the trouble. I'm just going to be honest. You know, I, I, I'm angrier now than I was with uh, the 2020 election. And I guess when I'm trying to figure out for myself, and I'm sure many people listening want to figure out the same thing, and maybe you have an answer, Noel. How do we channel the anger 
in a productive way? What can we do as people to try to right, make this right? Listen, yeah. you have to go within, right? Yeah. You have to like, you have to answer the negativity with positivity. And I don't mean a Pollyanna-ish burying your head in the sand, but you have to, you have to counter the darkness with light. And that comes through empathy and compassion, right? You know, think of the climate situation that you have to do what you can to make it better. You have to turn off that light when you walk out of that room and you're not using it. You have to not mow that lawn every two weeks or every week. You have to let the grass grow. You have to let the butterflies go free. All these little acts add up and you can do it all throughout the day. You have to save life and respect it and honor it wherever you see it. You know, I drove into the city the other night, Jimmy, from Westchester, right? So about an hour 10, you know, down a highway where you're going like 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, my yard is like four acres of like wild meadow, you know, and bird sanctuary and rivers and stuff. Like yeah. it's, it's wild out here. I was walking out yesterday with a friend. We're walking through the grass and there was a deer leg just sitting there because the coyotes had taken out a, le uh, a you know a deer dang <laughs> wow. with a hoof on it and my friend's probably like this dude's like a viking what that <laughs> a deer i was like oh there's a deer leg but it's part of the pollinator pathway you know we, we we gave it to like nature you know and they come and walk it it's it's a official thing they came and inspected it this week but my point is so there's a lot of life going on in this property and grasshoppers are one of my favorite creatures grasshoppers are magical you know we were talking about praying mantises grasshopper all, all creatures are magical it's magic that something's alive you know that's the great mystery of life is that there is life right that's the miracle and the wonder is that you're breathing and you're conscious but so grasshoppers occupy that same space right they're just mystical if you look at them and they're amazing creatures they can jump and they can fly they have wings, you know, they, they have these eyes and like, they're just really cool things, right? So my driveway is gravel. I stopped like re-graveling it and I kind of let it grow because the, the grasshoppers like that sort of environment. They like the rocks and somehow they flourish in this tall grass that, that grows in this driveway. It doesn't look very kempt <laughs> to the neighbors, but I don't have any neighbors, you know? So anyway, I mean, I do, but they're far away. So these grasshoppers live on this in this driveway, right? So I'm driving to the city and I get to the West Side Highway. So this is after going down a highway for an hour where you're going 65, 70 miles an hour. We get to the West Side Highway and I notice there's a grasshopper on the passenger side mirror that had stayed. You know, he was like stuck in some leaves under the hood or something. And we finally slowed down enough and he walks out on the mirror. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a grasshopper here. And then it becomes about protecting this life. Because now I've taken him to the big city, right? So then we drive around until we can find a place to park where he can get to some trees and some grass. And I know that sounds extreme to people and crazy. And that's the kind of weird hippie dude I am, right? <laughs> but like honoring the life of this grasshopper. You know, what a miracle it is that this guy somehow survived and held on. You couldn't hold on to my car if I went 70 miles an hour down the highway, Jimmy. <laughs> you know? No, no. <laughs> Hell no. This thing did, right? So this is a badass grasshopper, right? And he deserves to continue to try and live whatever his mission is, you know? And we ended up, instead of going to the parking garage that we thought we were going to, we went and parked near 6th Avenue, 
where there was some like you know a little park outside of an office building where at least he could crawl off the car and have a fighting shot to like go live in the trees and bushes and stuff you know and that's what we did but that's my example like if you become aware of life you know i was sitting on the porch the other day and there's these stink bugs you, they call them stink bugs you know what they look like little brown hard shell things yeah prehistoric looking bugs they're everywhere this time of year <laughs> sitting out there playing guitar and i happen to look and one was in a spider's web oh like really ensconced and, and he, he'd gotten so much of the webbing around him he couldn't move he was just sitting there still and normally i would like probably let that go but i was like i can't sit here knowing this thing is like <laughs> so, so i pull him out of there and he can't move and i take a little twig and i get all the little spider stuff off of him you know, take like two minutes and I'm holding them and I pull all this little webbing off them and then he can walk again. Right. Then he's starting to move. And I bring him over to this big maple tree. That's like 250 years old or more. Right. Big sugar maple. Huge. Yeah. You know, it was planted when like Lincoln was president and uh, put him on the sugar maple. And he's now he's got all his use again. No spider web on him and walks up the tree. Gets a second shot at life at being alive. And I get to see the wonder of this thing moving again that was going to like, you know, meet a fate. Right. And then I walk back and sit on the porch and I see the big wolf spider is pissed. Like he's sitting there by the rock, like, dude, you just gave away my dinner. You know, <laughs> but he, I left the web intact and there's plenty of bugs around and smaller bugs that he could dine on. So he was going to be all right. I do well by spiders around here. I let spiders live everywhere. That's the other thing. You know, spiders are part of the ecosystem. You don't mm -hmm. smash a bug when you see it, you know, let it live. You'll have a healthier house if you have little spiders around it, believe it or not, because they'll take care of other insects and stuff. I know that sounds radical and not everybody <laughs> is geared that way. But the larger point I'm trying to make is we're taught to be separate from nature, right? right. Especially in our society. It's all like, you know, clean and Febreze it and do all this other stuff. You know, we are part of nature and that's what can save us. That's what's going to heal us, Jimmy, is realizing we're part of everything. And we have to treat everything with the same amount of respect we treat ourselves with. And the reason we've lost so much respect for ourselves is because we've lost respect for nature. Even if we're not conscious of it, we've subconsciously degraded the value of life. And we feel bad about that. And we feel shameful about that, though we're not aware of it. It comes out in our actions. So what you can do is honor life. That's the spirit that we need to connect to. So anytime you have an opportunity to be compassionate or empathetic, take it, take it. And then you become like a warrior for change, you know, like spiritual gangster, as they say, you know, in your class, you become part of a, a deeper wellspring of wisdom. And then you'll find answers come to you. Like the more you tune into that, the more the right thing to do becomes obvious and intuitive. Like, you know, Walden's Pond, you know, that like Thoreau would just sit there and watch birds all day and understand that that's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of time to be present and observing in nature because it'll lead you to presence, you know? And if you get in the moment, then you can understand sort of what needs to be done on a deeper level. You know, Eckhart Tolle, I don't know if you've read him, you should read like The Power of Now or A New Earth. It's all about that. You know, 100 million people were, were slaughtered in the 20th century because of wars, because of genocides and wars that were, that were prosecuted by ego-based leaders. 
you know, from Hitler to Pol Pot to all these psychopaths that were acting out their own pain bodies, their own malignant personalities telling them, you know, what the right thing to do was and to persecute another human, right? The opposite of that is going beyond your mind, okay? Getting present and realizing you're connected to the whole of humanity. And that's what your Tucker Carlson's and all your people are against. Tucker Carlson has it in him to be a fascist psychopath. Trump was a fascist psychopath. We're now in an age where they're multiplying around us. So to answer your question, how you counter that is with love, right? It's presence. That's an act of love, not walking away from the little bug and taking 20 minutes, pulling the little cobwebs off of him was the best thing I did that day. If you want to understand my life, Jimmy, and this will sound very weird to my listeners, but like I was on tour in Texas once with Stephen Stills, you know, and I was road manager or whatever. And we're playing a gig. I think we're with Kenny Wayne Shepard somewhere in Houston and life is hard on the road. It's fun and cool, but you know, it's, it's got its drawbacks. You know, it's just, it's, it's a grind. And, and the longer you're on tour, the more of a grind it is, you know? And, uh, I was in a restroom one day and it's going to sound crazy to people, but I was in a restroom in the, in the gig we were doing in Houston or whatever. And I went into pee and there was a cockroach in the urinal, right? Mm-hmm. Like on the urinal cake, there's this big bug cockroach, right? Gotcha. Yeah. If I just peed and flushed the thing, he would have been dead. Right. So I got like some paper or whatever, a paper towel, and I got him to crawl on it. And I took the cockroach and I put him outside. Right. Mm-hmm. And let him live. And most people probably would have just flushed that toilet or not given a second thought. But I knew in all the grind of what I was doing on tour that that was the best thing I did that day. Mm. That was the most meaningful thing to me that I would do that day. Even though I helped put a rock legend on stage and we played a concert for 5,000 people and everybody had a good time, you know, then we got on a big diesel engine bus, you know, and put a bunch of pollution back up into the air. of electricity to do the concerts right because rock and roll is not green i'll get into that on another episode you know the people are singing about being green but the actual logistics of a rock concert is uh, it's an environmental calamity practically (laughs) every day and things like global citizens broadcast whenever you see these big festivals on tv they would come pollute central park every year to pull that thing off diesel generators up and down my neighborhood in carnegie hill in the park you know pumping poison in the air to tell people not to use plastic bottles <laughs> like water but you know what i'm saying yeah. so there's mm-hmm. a lot of you know catch 22 kind of things going on here and people mean well we're just at the beginning of this battle but my point is listen to your own truth don't listen to that voice that says that's crazy why would you save a cockroach you know or somebody tells me that's going to spread disease yeah i didn't eat the thing like it probably wasn't that you know sanitary but so what he's a bug he's got a shot at living out his life do you know what i mean so that i don't know if you know what i mean i don't know that anybody knows what i mean about that but i know what i mean about by that do you follow me jimmy you I, I do yeah um, truth. you know what the right thing is in, on an instinctual level And a lot of humanity is trying to drown out that voice and listening to the programming of others. We're all a product of what other people told us we were. You know, just like somebody said, you're Jimmy Kennedy. It's a name, right? That's just a name that your parents had or whatever. It's like, you know, when you pass away, like there's a day you were born and the day you died. And there's a 
dash in the middle of it, right? <laughs> that dash is your whole life. And we identify with the stories we've been told. I'm Noel Kassler, I'm a comedian, blah, blah, blah. No, those are just details. In reality, I'm a being, a present being that's here, you know, that can go beyond my brain. We identify with our minds, Jimmy. That's the incorrect thing. You have to go beyond your mind and figure out what presence is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, I, I do know what you're talking about, at least in my experience with volunteering for Timmy Global Health. You know, once you help someone else, you worry less about yourself. That's that's the easiest way I can describe it. That's it, buddy. Yeah. That's it. It's yeah. Getting out of your own way, man. Self-centeredness is yeah. the root of all evil in many ways. As I've said before, when you're getting sober, you know how you get sober? You help somebody else. Right. Let somebody help you. First, you ask for help and you say, I'm powerless. I need some help. I can't do this by myself. My self-will is not going to let me put this bottle down. Right. And then you get your feet back on the ground and you say, you know what? Instead of thinking about myself all day, which is going to lead me to self-pity and anger and resentment and ultimately drinking again, I'm going to go listen to somebody else. So you call up a buddy and you say, hey, how are you doing? You know, when you're having a crappy day as an alcoholic in recovery, you call up, you pick up the phone and you don't talk about yourself. You ask somebody else, how are you doing? And then they're like, well, my girlfriend's mad at me and blah, blah, blah. And then after 10 minutes, you're like, oh, Jesus. But you forget <laughs> about your own problems. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's how you do it. You take action. You help something else. So that's how you help the planet. You, you get out of your own way and you try to be of service. Being of service is, is the highest thing we can do as people. And, and we've been programmed and co-opted, you know, by, by a lot of mythology that's like, get yours, get a Bentley, get this and that, you know, like, why? Give it to somebody else, man. Help yeah. somebody else get what they don't have. And that's, that's a bigger gift. That was what Christianity was supposed to be about. You know, give unto others. Do unto others as you would want them to do, you know, for you. That's what the spirit of Christmas was supposed to be, right? You're giving. It's about giving instead of receiving, right? And all that stuff has been weaponized by people that want you to keep consuming, right? Because consumption is tied in with self-centeredness. And it never works, Jimmy. That's the thing. It doesn't fill that hole inside of you. Ask anybody who's gotten really famous or made a lot of money. It never works. You always want more. It's just a never ending thing. So the way to circumvent that is to just give. Give and it's free. The sun just came out now. That's free. You can't buy that. You can't put a price on that. My favorite tweet of yours this week, brother, was... Uh... When I was young, I wanted things. Now that I'm older, I want other people to have things. That's where I'm at, man. Let's give other people a shot. I'm still, I, I still want mine, and, I, and I'm working on it. But there are people that were defeated before the game even started. <laughs> Let's give them a shot, you know? Exactly. Let's give them the tools to be successful. Exactly, dude. All right, well, that's, that's a good note to end on. We didn't get into Dave Chappelle, but, you know, there's plenty. Of, I'm sure every other podcast in the world is talking about Dave Chappelle this week <laughs> on yeah. the interviews portion of Apple Podcasts, which is where you can find Noel Kassler Podcast. 
episode 32. You can find me at noelcastler.com and you can certainly find me at the Wall Street Theater on November 18th in Norwalk, Connecticut, one of my favorite towns on the Eastern Seaboard. If you're within listening range of this podcast, come on out. It's going to be a great night. South Norwalk has got a lot of great restaurants. The theater is just around the corner in downtown Norwalk. Very hip kind of art deco neighborhood. Very happening. Great theater. Great time. Can't wait for it. 8 p.m. show. So come on out. You can get tickets at my website, as I said. And you can find Jimmy. Where can they find you, Jimmy? JBKonair.com. My initials, J-B-K-O-N-A-I-R.com. There you go. Big Jimmy Kennedy, Noel Kassler, bringing it to you. Save them bugs when you can. Live your life. Help somebody else. Stay safe. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Episode 32 is done. I'm out. Peace.